different time zones this morning. We got one in Pacific time zone, one in the mountain, and and one in Central. Yes, here we are. Who we have? It's probably a first. Is it a first? I think so. I think Ryan was in the Pacific when he was recording. He he does. He's no, he was Montana. Oh, he was Mon- Yeah, they're Montana. right. Montana. Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome, Mark Drain. Welcome good morning to, to both of you. I have yeah. to. I have to. I have to say, since he can't, he can't yell at me. He's a long ways away. That. Mark is, uh, my dad told me at a very early in my stage, you pick six people that matter. And when they tell you you've done good or bad, you listen. Well, Mark, thanks for being on the list. Here you are. <laughs> All a, right. it's, an, it's an honor to have you here, my friend. Thank you. The great and wonderful Mark Drain, uh, widely considered to be one of the best western silversmiths on the planet and he we're going to embarrass the heck out of him by saying all this stuff but <laughs> it's true it is true, true story if he only knew right we're glad you don't know mark because then you wouldn't talk to us you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to <laughs> get in here with us but yes i was uh i was in emporia kansas a couple weeks ago for the grandmasters and uh uh mark's you, your reputation and name and skill set was discussed widely in Emporia, Kansas, by people that we have no idea who are, but you are well known in the engraving world, Mark, not only for your silversmithing, but as I was there at GRS, they were talking about it. And, and uh, they said, Who would be a new, a, a good grandmaster? I said, Well, Mark would be an awesome guy if he would come do it. So I don't know. Well, nobody, will... maybe in the, in the course of our talk this morning, I can, uh, Mention a few other people that are been uh, heroes in the silversmithing world. Uh, people that most people don't aren't familiar with. So uh, anyway, I'll mention a few as we go along. Sure. I hope you. Yeah. I hope you do. I, I certainly have some. Uh, you introduced me to people that I'd never heard of too, like Fran, and we'll get off into that as we move along, but. That, that just incredible engravers that had huge influences in our Western trades that maybe our, our today's industry doesn't know about. That'd be very interesting. Yeah. For sure. So tell us a little bit about yeah. Yeah. Uh, your story, Mark. You started out in Washington State, up there in the Shelton, Washington area, northwest, western, not only in the northwest, but northwestern Washington, right? Oh. I'm in northwestern Washington, right at the foot of the Olympic Mountains on Puget Sound, and uh, fortunate enough to have a home built up on top of a hill where I can see everywhere. Uh, But uh, to back up a bit, I did start uh, silversmithing in Reno, Nevada. And uh, I worked there for years before we we moved our family up here to the Northwest. Uh, I graduated from University of Nevada, and within a couple weeks, I was engraving at a wholesale silver uh, factory, a big shop, big, and uh, 
So I worked there at Silver State Silver for a year and a half before I left them and uh, opened a little shop of my own next to Bill Malloy's silver, uh, saddle shop. And uh, then I had my own shop there and moved down the road later to a little bigger shop. And so I was a silversmith in Reno for quite a few years. So there in Reno, I mean, Reno was quite the hub at that point, right? With, with Craftsman because Pachetti and Tejan and, and Gary Gist is somewhere involved at the same time, right? Yes. And I think uh, historically, uh, Reno was a place where uh, those people seeking a divorce, ladies could come to Reno from California <laughs> and get a divorce. And at that time, in a, in a short amount of time, and at that time, Reno was a small western town. And so I think that created silver shops in Reno where the uh, people from out of state and they wanted a little piece of western uh, cowboy gear when they left and so there were quite a few silver shops and silversmiths in Reno uh, and that was before my time really uh, but uh, that was kind of started things in, in Reno. So the, the the ladies were getting a divorce and pawning off their rings and going back home, I guess, huh? Is that what was happening? Yeah, they were wearing a belt buckle. <laughs> oh yeah, there they went. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so uh, and and was that where you you met Dan Murray too? Was it was he there at that time? I uh, mean, Dan was. Uh, in, yes, I met him. I had my shop south of Reno and Dan worked for Bill Rogers in Carson City which is further south from Reno mm -hmm. and he built stamped saddles for Bill Rogers who's a well-known was a well-known saddle maker and uh, then he left Bill Rogers went on his own and he built some saddles and then he picked up silver work and uh, he did some graphics work for not me plus and a few pieces of leather and silver work that are really outstanding I, and that I'm fortunate enough to own. And uh, then he, last time I saw him, he was down in the San Francisco area and he worked for a place called Europa motors and they worked on exclusive fancy uh old old bugattis and rolls royces and things like that so what i'm trying to say is that dan was really the most talented person i've ever run into uh, hmm. i don't care what it was dan could handle it he it was an amazing person design abilities like nobody else right i mean so unique of what he's done and it, it's oh, crazy oh yeah 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 it didn't matter the canvas either is what you're saying too i mean we all get comfortable designing within a certain shape or, or canvas that we're familiar with but from cars to saddles to silver it didn't matter 
Yes, yeah. No, Dan could do anything. He really was. Uh, he's uh, all around. He's the greatest artist I've ever run into. Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Interesting. Well, and and so, I mean, all all of that around you, you were familiar with all of that. Had to have a big big influence moving forward, I suppose. It did, and uh, of course, when I uh, did go to work for that wholesale manufacturer, I also ran into Francis Harry, who was the head engraver there at Silver State Silver. Mm. And uh, after, I don't know what kind of period, maybe six months or a year, he left Silver State Silver and I became the head engraver. But Fran and I maintained a great friendship. And I was always welcome in his shop or down at his house, and he was out to my house at times too. And Fran was, uh, I still think he's the silver bright cut engraver that uh, has outdone everybody. Um, I can do pretty nice scroll work and so on, but uh, he could be on that. Uh, he, did just some fantastic pieces. The one piece that I know that people can probably get a chance to look at is in the Cowboy Hall of Fame. I think they keep it in their vault. And it's a head stall that he did in conjunction with Tracy White. Tracy White built the silver gold pieces and had Fran engrave them. And uh, he asked me, he, Tracy said, would you please ask, introduce Fran to me and see if he could engrave something for me? And I said, oh, I'll, I'll get it lined out. And of course, the pieces that Tracy made are exceptional. Mm -hmm. They're the finest silver gold pieces you've seen. And of course, Fran was delighted to be able to engrave them. And uh, that's a fantastic head stall that uh, the museum has. You, Gary, you may not get to talk this time because I have more to say, of course. It, no, that's okay. You go. Well, so, so Mark, you know, when I come to see you that time, Katie was at the car show in Seattle and I drove down and spent, you know, a couple of days yeah. with you and Kathy. Um, I had never, never heard of Fran. And, and my engraving, uh, at the time was, was, uh, maturing. Let's put it that way. You know, I was still coming along and I, I was totally messed up on my bright cut engraving. I had no earthly idea what was going on. I thought the bright cut was actually the leaf. You know, that's what I was concentrating on making my leaf. And you showed me a Brett that you have that, that Fran had engraved where he actually cut out the bright cut with a jeweler saw, you know, so it was almost filigree looking. And I was like, holy cow, there's the leaf. What am I doing? And from that moment on, it totally changed my engraving. And I've gone a whole different route. No, I'm not a traditional Western bright cut engraver at all. But I, I leaned back to what Fran was doing there and, and then took it on further into the fine English scroll. And, 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 and you know, it, it's hard to do in silver and maybe not the perfect look. But I can't tell you how much that meant to me and, and to see that piece and to understand. And I've, I've never forgot it. Like that was anybody that's listening, you need to look up friends engraving because it is, it is really good. Really. really yeah. Good. 
one place you might find something, I'm not sure, but uh, uh, he did quite a bit of work for Shazline Silver, which is hmm. in uh, San Francisco, South San Francisco, and they are a multi-generation silver shop. And uh, Rob Shazline is uh, running it now. His dad's passed away and his grandfather and great-grandfather. But uh, Shazline Silver, uh, they used Fran for a lot of engraving. And I mm. think Rob has posted rubbings from buckles that Fran has engraved. I have a few of them. I don't know where I got them. I must have downloaded them or something. And uh, there are pencil rubbings over the engraved buckle. And uh, I'm fortunate to have those. I look at them every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, Fran was really something. And, and so Pachetti's engraving in his scroll work, um, I see some similarities uh, in there as well. Am I wrong by that? I mean, were they kind of same well, background maybe? Fran was, uh, or uh, Al Pachetti, he lived about a, just down the road from me. When I moved, uh, I had a place, a little place I rented south of Reno, and Al Pachetti was just down the road from me. And uh, the Bill Malloy saddle shop was just down the road from me. And Les Garcia of uh, uh, Garcia Saddlery, Les was just up the road. And just and down the road, a little further south was Altegen. So it's like you dropped me from outer space. You, I couldn't have landed <laughs> in a better location. It was really amazing. And... Uh, Anyway, I forgot what we were saying, but uh, was Pachetti's influenced by Fran? The work? Yes, yes. Pachetti, uh, he Al Pachetti started me. I was stamping saddles for Bill Malloy, and Al would bring the silver down for saddles. And one day I asked him, I said, "Would you show me how to do that, Al?" And so Al started me on engraving. And uh, we were the best of friends. And when I had my shop there next to, down by Bill Malloy's saddle shop, I would do some pretty crazy different things. And on my way home, I'd swing by Al Pachetti's and I'd say, check this out, Al. And uh, it was kind of fun. He'd say, how you do, how you do that? You know, and so we went back and forth. And we just had the best friendship, all those guys. I'm sorry I never got to meet Al. That that would have been a, a big thing for sure. Oh, yeah, he was the best. Well, Shorty, I'll let you talk for a second. I got a lot more questions, but I'm being rude. <laughs> well, I don't want to cut you off. I, well, I, you know, part of that deal, too, is uh, that Snaffle Bit Futurity was in Reno every year, too. And that was where you met Chuck Storms, correct? And Mel Lawson. Didn't you guys even share a booth there at the Snapple Bit Futurity and got really acquainted way back when? Yeah, I don't even remember the years, Terry, but we had uh, a booth together. And uh, at that time, uh, I wasn't really into the uh, business or trying to sell. Uh-oh. That's a good, you got a, you got a circus at the house. 
Yeah, sorry there, sorry there. But anyway, uh, the Snapple Bitless Futurity was always a good time. We'd uh, meet a lot of people, and it was a big deal. And, uh, and I'd be there in my booth way down the end of a corridor, and then I'd see Les Garcia coming, and he kind of shuffled along, and I know he'd come in. He'd come all the way down that corridor, and he'd take a look at my stuff, and he'd say, pretty good work, boy. And then he would turn around. He'd turn around and he'd shuffle all the way back down the corridor. <laughs> and he he had a walk-in vault at his home. His home was in the finest location in Reno. You couldn't have found a better place to build a home. It was magnificent. It was in the shape of a wagon wheel. Yeah, the broken wagon wheel. The home it was a big circular home. But he had a walk-in vault, and when I go up there, I, he had me do work for him. And uh, so when I go up there, I'd say, Les, could I go take a look at that saddle in the vault? And he said, go ahead, Mark. And I think they called it the President's Saddle. And it was an old-time saddle that his dad had built in Garcia Saddle Shop in Elko, Nevada. And it had silver trim all around the skirts and the back jockeys and across the front of the seat were $20 gold pieces and it had different presidents heads carved into those gold pieces and it was a magnificent saddle it uh, hmm. needed a little care but it was an incredible piece I wonder where it's at today that's something else I think it may be in the Elko uh, Museum. I'm not sure. I'll be darned. Yeah. Be darned. So Chuck told me y'all called that booth Storm Drain Silver or Storm Storm Drain <laughs> Storm Drain <laughs> something. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. No, and uh, of course, I over the years I've done work for Chuck, and we've remained very good friends. Uh, uh, we still are today. So, because yeah. we were about the same age and going through the same stuff. So, Chuck and I are close friends. Well, so your own little, your own little, like I, I say so often, Mark, the TCA has been such a great um, silver spoon in my mouth because to become friends with the best in the world is just like yourself. It's just been incredible for my career. But you had it, but you've always lived in a TCA environment with the best in the world right there as neighbors. And even better, because you, hell, you lived on the same street as a bunch of them, where I just get to see the TCA twice a year. You you lived <laughs> with them. That, that's incredible. Yeah, it was. It was pretty fascinating. And even Gary Gift uh, at one point was up there a few times. And I was kind of right there at the very beginning when Gary Gist figured out his uh, how to build the buckles that he uh, builds today, and that has to do with uh, Altegen and so on. Anyway, that that's yeah, I was there at the beginning of Gary Gist getting started there. He mm -hmm. he figured out how to make a thousand buckles a month, and I was building two or three a month <laughs> and getting a thousand dollars for both of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that, that, that's a, that's a special piece of history. And, and I, I'm, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's way cool about all that for sure. 
So, um, the famous rawhide braider Louis Ortega, didn't he show up at that snaffle bit futurity? And, and uh, you got to know him then. That's another little scrap of information that none of us, none of us got to, had that opportunity to meet somebody like him either. Who's, who's that, Kerry? Louis Ortega. Oh, didn't yeah. He come, didn't he come to the Snaffle Bit Futurity, too? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Louis Ortega would be there, come along, and, uh, yeah, wonderful older man. And uh, I met him before, too. Uh, Al Pacetti engraved those ferals for reins uh, for Louis. And uh, so he was kind of around once in a while up there. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, so so how long were you in Reno, and then you then you moved to moved back to Washington? Yeah, it was. Uh, I didn't come back. That uh, I moved to Reno from Fallon, Nevada, and oh. uh, my dad my dad had been in the service, and he retired in Reno. Uh, wow. So we, I had two little boys, and Reno was getting so big. I thought I'm going to move to a little town like Elko or Susanville, California, and it was anyway, uh, my mom's side of the family had a place up here, a vacant home, and they said, come on up. So we came up here, and uh, I continued, I had my own silver shop, and uh, continued working in silver, and uh, then things changed. Uh, I had an uncle that ran the business up here, a farm and timber business, and he became ill, and I spent quite a bit of time with him before he died, but uh, the company, uh, we have family shareholders, and I ended up being the president of the company and uh, have been ever since, so that's kind of one thing I have to do on the side is... Uh, keep care of the McDonald Land Company. Hmm. And over the years, we've sold a lot of land and holdings, and uh, I have less work to do and more time in my silver shop now, which is nice. Yeah, perfect. Well, didn't you go to the to the, to the the Orient at some point, or was Japan, or where, didn't you go over there for a little while, spend a little time studying something? I... Uh, I did. When my dad was in the service, we lived on Guam for a couple of years. Oh, and uh, he was a naval the pilot. And uh, so anyway, our family went to Japan for a couple of weeks. I loved it. I was just a kid, but I remember most everything about it, and I loved it. And uh, then uh, I, I was uh, lucky enough to become a member, or uh, accepted to agriculture and forestry leadership program here in Washington State and this is you know I'm in charge of the forestry and the farm and so on but and so with that group it was two years I, and we'd get together and every year uh, the forestry or the leadership group goes to a different country and our group went to uh, Asia, 
so you know we were in Korea and uh, Hong Kong. We were everywhere there in the in Asia for a couple of weeks, I think, and then we came back to the states. So uh, that was interesting too. Well, I'm I'm sure it is, and I because um, I've seen some things that have some. Asian influence, you might say, in some of your designs and in, in, in certain ways. I don't remember what it was, but I remember somebody telling me that. And I don't know if you've ever told me that, but I, I thought there was some yeah. influence there somehow. No, maybe. Well, no telling. It's cool, though. I mean, inspiration yeah. can come from a lot of different places. And so that's that's awesome. You're And, and Schwartzy, I'll, I'll segue into this for you. Uh, your design, Mark, is is ability design. Like like Dan is is incredible, and um, we maybe that's why we get along. But we believe it starts out with pencil and paper and design, right? If you don't have a good design, you're probably not going to create an outstanding piece, no matter how well you make it. And um, you, you've you've been very influential that way for me on many many years with design. Oh, thank you, Wilson. Yeah, and no, I I used to do do a lot of pencil work a lot of drawings and uh, I'll draw something up an idea set it aside and uh, maybe it's that next night or whatever I come out with a little fresher idea and redo it and anyway I sit on them for quite a while and keep uh, keep trying to improve every way I can change and thinking about it and before I go ahead and do it in silver and so I think I have tried to do uh, as many, you know, as creative one-off things as I can that no one else has done. And one thing I did do, which was kind of amazing, and I think back, uh, when I did a concho years ago in Reno, I had a die to punch, push out an oval shape. And, and on the sides, it had uh, little beads pushed out, different sizes on each side of the concha. And that made the concha round. And, but it gave me more room to engrave. I was an engraving fool back then. <laughs> and so those, it, that's where we developed those uh, beads Everybody puts them on buckles now, but that's where it started was with me putting them on the conscious. And uh, it was, yeah, it's kind of amazing how it took over. You see that stuff all the time, but there weren't beads on buckles before, you know, as a rope edge, period, uh, kind of a deal. So that was kind of a highlight. Uh, And... uh, It it was something that, you know, it took a little while. Originally, the beads were to have a flat top. I even have a die. We tried to do it with Al Pacetti and I, but they were hard to push. And it had a flat top because I wanted to engrave the top of the bead even. You see what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I was so so into engraving. But ended up, they were round beads, which everybody uses now on Hmm. silver. And I, I did a lot. I even had a wholesale line at one time, but I did a ton of those uh, beads on saddle silver and conches at one time, just an awful lot of them. And I even did one-inch letters 
for belts uh, and with oval beads on the letters. And um, they did a lot of silver letters for belts. Did you, did you ever get tired of beads? Uh, not really. I'm still into that. Uh, yeah. In fact, I have some up my sleeves that you'll see here in a little bit. Uh, that's uh -huh. a bead-oriented deal. Uh, that's yeah. good. He's yeah, teasing us, yeah, Watchy. No. He's, he's teasing us. Well, that's, yes, that's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you're still in the shop and got your mind working and hands working and, and stuff. That's That's awesome. I had the pleasure yeah, I, of working with. I don't one work of, too uh, hard in here, but. <laughs> but you you had a can several candle plates. I think three different candle plates in our show there a few years back, and and I had a customer that picked up one of those, and I wound up putting it on a rather than on a candle back, put it on the flap of a handbag, and uh, I had that oh, candle plate laying around here every once in a while. I'd pick it up and look at it, fondle it. It had some of those beads, had some of those beads mm -hmm. on it. A three circle, large circle in the middle and then uh, two flanked by two other circles. So that was pretty amazing. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, a little different. Well, when you, when you design, Mark, uh, <clears throat> You, I was. I'm really encouraged. I hope all of our listeners are are paying attention to your process of drawing and you set it aside, revisit it, turn it over in your mind, try to refine it down. To you spend a lot of time with the gray matter and the pencil and the paper before you ever pick up the tools and cut silver and and stuff. So that's that's huge. Um, and uh, I've got some ideas here that I, I often do. Sometimes I don't have the luxury of time to sort through uh, those design things. But, but if I do have months or a year or whatever, and I have an idea about what I want to do, that's a really important process to allow your brain to kind of get your head around some of that stuff. I think you're right, Kerry. Uh, um, I, in each drawing I do, I tell people, I write a date, date on it. And it's kind of interesting, an idea that you drew a year or two ago pops up again and uh, you're, well, you're amazed. Why haven't you done anything with it? It's been two or three years, Mark, since you came up with the design. But it's a funny little thing. But I always put a date on each piece mm -hmm. that I do. Uh, so. Yeah, you you encouraged me and, to do that too, Mark. And I've and I've done it. And oh. I look back at things and say, well, man, I've gone downhill. Is the only bad part. I look at some of that stuff and go, God, I was better then. And I look back at some things. <laughs> yeah. Well, you talk a little. Go ahead, Mark. One thing, uh, uh, you know, you were up here, but I have made some bits too. At, yes. Uh, one time in Reno, I did a lot of gold overlaid buckles, um, awful lot of them. And you have to 45, cut the edge of all the gold scroll and the flowers and the centers and every other thing. And I really got tired of it. 
And so I started fooling with a little metal work. And of course, I had Al teaching there, uh, just south of my shop. And uh, so I started fooling around with some metal work and made some bits. And they were all kind of different. And they had some different uh, tricks on them, I thought. Uh, people still haven't done uh, some of the things I've done on bits, uh, picked up on them. But I enjoyed that and a lot. Uh, so anyway, the metal work is always intriguing to me, and uh, I do have a metal shop uh, here also to make some of my own dyes and so on, and I, I enjoy that. And most recently, well, it's been some time ago, but I did build some engraving blocks, I think about four or five of them. And, uh, some people, you know, check storms, and I don't know. There's just uh, quite a few people have a, have my old engraving blocks, and then here over the last couple of years, I've designed a newer engraving block, different, and it's different from most all that you see too. It's kind of so far, it's a secret design until I get a couple out the door. So, but I enjoy the machine shop work. I'm not a machinist. I'm learning all the time, and uh, it's a little bit of a struggle. But I enjoy the machine shop work a lot too. Well, uh, w working for Greg uh, Darnell, which is where I started all this uh, journey. Uh, he had one, and and I was, where do I get one of those blocks? And he said, well, you can't get one. Well, why not? And he said, because Mark Green <laughs> made it, and he doesn't make them. I'm like, golly, so. That was one of my motives carries to butter him up to get a Mark Drain ball, you know. And, and then and then I found Chuck, found out that Chuck had one. I said, "Well, you're a glue sniffer, you know. You're not an engraver. You're leather guys. Come on, Chuck." And I I told him one time. I said, "We don't want to bring up age, Chuck, but have you thought about your will and where the ball's going?" Right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, man. yeah. I still don't have it. Dad government. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was up there. I can't remember when exactly there in Canada. And of course, I stopped to see Chuck, and uh, he showed me his engraving block that I made. And it's number one. It says my name has my name on it, and it's number one. I, oh, didn't, I didn't remember that. Yeah. That, that's a covet right there. I, I I could be like one of those ladies at the shoe shop just with engraving blocks. And the one I'm using now under the microscope is just it's a great piece of equipment and works great under a microscope has zero romance compared to the ones you've made and i have a laterno and i got one of john temples and you know i just love those blocks i don't they just they're awesome so it's all yeah, good yeah. i can yeah. collect them ray La, ray laterno lived um i'm up here in shelton washington but ray laterno lived down uh in northern oregon uh, just uh, north of Portland, northeast, northwest of Portland. And uh, so I was down to see Ray Letourneau a few times, and I wish I had spent more time with him. He has uh, had an amazing machine shop. Uh, he, it was like, it was a mess in that machine shop. It was a big mess. <laughs> but he turned out the nicest, finest little products, oh, and yeah. he... He did the handles for gravers that yeah. would hold a piece of high-speed steel or what. He built these nice, clever little handles. 
and uh, they are complex. Uh, yes. I, I'm always looking at them, and I haven't tried to replicate that, but they're a tricky little thing, uh, really tricky. And uh, Ray built a ton of them, and he built a whole lot of engraving balls, too. I don't know where they all went, but I'll tell you what, he, in, he built a bunch of engraving balls, and well, he was really a neat guy. I got two of them, and I don't know, half a dozen of the different handles that, that I got. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, they were free spinning. You know this. That was a big thing for me and my style and the way I, the way my, my, my preferences. Yeah. I'll put it that way. I wanted a ball free now, just to spin forever. His absolutely would. They were crazy. Is your gravers have a slot for the graver itself and with the little <laughs> square thing that you tighten mm -hmm. on top? Yes, yes, yes. You, you look at it sometime and. Uh, See the round part where the graver slips in there. Mm -hmm. It's a two piece. It's two pieces there. It's hard right. to see it fit so well, but it's two pieces, and that little square thing on top, it uh, comes together underneath your graver. And he had a quite a contraption to swage that square piece uh, mm. together. It was pretty tricky. Pretty neat. Yeah. It is. I've you showed that to me before and I looked at it and I just decided it'd be cheaper for me to get him to do it or somebody else which I guess he's passed on now probably he, he was older man when I, I talked to him I, yeah I, I don't know that he's passed on but he had he moved they moved and he, he mm -hmm. they sold the shop all the tools and uh, I don't he just couldn't do it anymore yeah I, I guess. he may still be alive I don't know but not making them anymore for yeah, sure right Right. So the the metal shop. I mean, uh, you have all kinds of different interests. You, don't you have cars and enjoy that stuff as well? Restoration stuff. I do. I am fortunate enough. I have a 1935 Ford three window coupe that's got a little Chevy V8 in it. It's a nice little hot rod. And uh, then I had an. 1936 three window coupe ford coupe and it had original paint on it but you know of course it was old and weathered and beat up and so on a bit and uh it was here i don't know six months ago i took it down to that great state of texas absolutely and uh <laughs> and uh i have a com company down there is rebuilding that car for me and I, I was born in Corpus Christi. I was just fixing to bring it up. The well, minute you told me that, I never was going to forget it. So Corpus Christi yeah, is the you, home front. <laughs> yeah, you knew I had that Texas blood in me. <laughs> That's right. I, it was connection at first sight, Mark. I knew for sure we were going to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. I got a well, funny story. You're doing some weather work too, aren't you, Mark? Yes, I, uh, it, you know, I, I did a lot of stamping for Bill Malloy, I think, and I did, I was headed for uh, service in Vietnam probably, and before I did, had to go, what, I never did go, go, but I built a saddle for myself, and it has, a, I don't know how many flowers on it, I probably have the patterns here somewhere, but it's covered in flowers. 
And so it was kind of an amazing saddle. And years later, we tried to buy it back, but uh, it it burned up in a guy's pump house. And he mm. had a Bill Malloy saddle, too, that was really significant. And the two saddles had burned up. But uh, anyway, I, I was into stamping because that's what I did a lot of uh, stamping of saddles for Bill. And... I, so now, I haven't fooled with it in quite a while, but I can make my own stamping stamping tools, and I have a leather piece up here that was just a test piece for a new, uh, I don't know what you call it, but a whole, you know, like, Terry doesn't do his uh, layout with vines going around the flowers and so on, which is kind of the more prominent uh, style and this one uh, the style I've uh, kind of started on here is even different uh, it's 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 not it's more free free mm -hmm. and then it's not around this flower around the next flower around that flower it's uh, I, I don't know what you call it but it's more natural oh. I don't know natural organic or what but Anyway, I have a whole new style uh, uh, that, you know, I haven't. I shared it with one young man who I met at uh, down in uh, southeast Oregon and uh, at the show down there. And uh, he really impressed me. I saw a saddle he did, and I thought it was just grand. And so I've shared that stamping patterns with him. I don't know that he'll do anything with it or what, but uh, he's, he's the only other person that knows the scene my style that I have kind of come up with. You know, Mark, I, the, I, I look at leather carving and I'm all the time relating it to our background of metal engraving and all. And, and uh, I, I'm accusing Carrie of being more like our style of metal engraving than I am most saddle makers because he doesn't do the circles, you know, and around and around. And right, right. Carrie's got his own thing. I love it, Carrie. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and I look forward. I look forward to seeing every piece of your uh, saddle stamping. Yeah. I tell him he's yeah. the king of the mountain and try to blow him up a little bit. You know, he's leading the charge. Yeah. 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 No. I, yeah. No. It's, it's terrific. I'm, I'm, I'm I have a very to... short saddle here. Someone... Yeah, I made Mark a saddle. You got one. Go ahead. Hmm. Made you one. That's yeah. been what, what fifteen years ago, maybe longer. Yeah, it could be Terry. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he's. He, you've also got a John Ennis pair of spurs, the the lady leg spurs, and and uh, that is an incredible pair of spurs. And the, the opportunity to get to hold those and look at those was a real inspiration for me too. As we all have a ton of respect for John and his ability to design, and that is a great pair of spurs, Mark. That's awesome. Oh yeah, uh, John is uh, a spectacular craftsman. He is. Uh, a one-off kind of guy that uh, you, know, you can't touch him. Uh, no. Yeah, it, his work is just incredible. Uh, really fine. Uh, Wilson's getting right there, but uh, mm. John is, Ennis is very good. Yeah. 
John is the man. That 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 class I went to was taught by Damien Conley, who's an Australian engraver that now lives in Vermont, and uh, his attention to detail was is is equal to John's. Like, there's just no backup in anything except for the best, and you know that not a lot of people have that character in them to sit there long enough to see and then understand how to fix the problem. Uh, those two guys are yeah. incredible. Yeah, you know, that was quite a class you were in, uh, Wilson. That was something. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. For sure. Good, good, yeah. For Very sure. good. Schwartz, you ask him your question about space. I, I, I'm going to let you do it because it's your idea and it's you, your baby, but talk, talk, ask Mark about that. Yeah, we, we were just kind of chatting here before we got got on live here but uh i've got a got to lead a discussion here in a couple days here in idaho with an idaho saddle makers gathering and i'm kind of on board to talk about some of the things when you look at your the space that needs to be filled the decorated space that needs to be filled uh, and what needs to happen before we even pick up a pencil and uh ron smith is i don't know if you know ron but the great firearms engraver uh wilson and i took a class from him that's been quite a few years ago now but uh anyway ron said that the space that you need to fill up has a personality and i've thought about that for many years and trying to figure out what did he mean by that and uh so i've I've come up with a set of questions that i'm going to be trotting out here this weekend here coming up here in idaho and stuff and and uh that's that's something i'd like to ask you mark when you look at a space that you need to fill up uh, a buckle of whatever it is a piece of leather you look at those lines and all of that stuff and try to figure out the personality isn't that what you're trying to do yeah it's yeah, in fact, here's a, a little different twist, Kerry. Um, what if you don't have the outside design shape and you start to do your interior work and see how that goes and then fit the final outside shape to it? You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? A little yeah. back backwards. Yep. That's a backwards yep. approach. But I did do it for a buckle here recently, designing the inside and just kind of making things, and then adding the outside. And by golly, I came up with a little different shape that mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead with. I'm going to do. But uh, it is, if you have the outside shape to begin with, uh, it is, <laughs> how do I say this? It's, when you go to fill it, uh, don't, uh, don't deny the possibility that you're going to go over the lines. You know, right. maybe something that you've done inside goes over the edge or outside the edge or what, but, uh, we, we we have confined ourselves to like oval buckles, you know, it's like everybody did them for a jillion years and everything fit inside the buckle. 
uh, oval, but I'm kind of getting away from that. And uh, so what I'm trying to get say is, uh, in, once you don't be so firm on the outside shape, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, then. Then it begins, you know, like if you're going to add flowers or stair heads and so on, you know, your spacing and where you want to do that and what you want to run. Uh, now the thing is kind of intriguing to be able to run scroll over steer horns or under and or out of flowers or, you know, you try to make it uh, a little bit more complex and intriguing, interesting. Mm -hmm. is what it mm -hmm. amounts to. S sounds like a deal, you of, of our gesture drawing, but the, the attitude of being free, right, Mark? You don't want to be confined and limited to what it is that you can say and do within your space. As, you, as you're freeing the mind up, relaxing, and, and just moving over the space, maybe in and out of the space to create the message that you want to create. Yes, very much so. And in fact, uh, when you start filling the space, you might decide that the space should be a different shape uh, mm -hmm. as you go along, you know, you, but yeah, you want to be flexible between those things. And as creators, it makes it to where, so we thought as creators, this is all on paper before we ever got started, right? It's not like getting a knife in the mail and then having to engrave a knife and fill in that space or, but as a saddle maker or as a bit and spur maker, silversmith, we start down on paper, we get our architecture down and we design within it. Cause we think that's what we have. We have to do a saddle. Well, it has to be shaped like this. And what you're saying is, is, Hey, maybe start out there, but then let, allow the freedom to design within. And maybe then that dictates a new, a new architectural um, structure that you need to work around and play with. And, and that's how you get exactly. Creative. Yeah. 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 And you, yes. and you could actually start at, like you're saying, well, I'm repeating what you said, but hell you think you're doing a saddle, but you have a nice design element that you want to do. Well, then you can design a saddle around those elements as well. You can work in reverse. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Anything you do. Yeah. Is be so open-minded, very open-minded. Yep. And uh, go to bed and think about it for a few nights and then come back to it. And uh, yeah. yeah, I it's quite a while before I'll settle on uh, a final uh, direction to go. And I do have two buckles. Uh, one, I, one I started here a little bit ago, uh, but it it's been a long time. I'd have to look at the date on the paper again and see when I started. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I've uh, I've got a couple of buckles that I'm comfortable enough to build now. You know that I've spent a lot of time designing. So, question after you design, after you say, okay, I'm going to start the project, and you you have your drawing down. How close do you, do you ever allow yourself, do you, as Carrie puts it, do we let the hands talk after you've, after you've started the project? Do you ever deviate away from the paper design? Uh, no, uh, not hardly. Uh, there are some ways you can deviate and, uh, but, 
you know, like scrolls, I usually have done them flat, the scrolls, and mm -hmm. shaded them to look uh, so like they're more they're shaped. But mm -hmm. now you see, if you go on, and rather than just single pointing, maybe I'll want to sculpt that overlay a bit mm -hmm. and then shade or what. You see, mm -hmm. yeah, I left myself kind of open there a little bit. Uh, yeah. I, I, I go about it the same way, Mark. The paper is so important to me and, and having a, a comfortable feeling before I start the project is, is crucial to me. Yeah. So once I get become comfortable in the, in the paper, then, um, my think my, that part of my brain shuts off. And, but yeah. I agree with Carrie too, that, that, that there are some things that could happen occasionally that are important to do. Yeah. I think, um, a major thing uh, with beginning silversmiths is the shape of the item that they're engraving. And everybody does flat a flat piece. Maybe they bend it one way or what. But that's the biggest problem that uh, beginning silversmiths uh, run against. You know, to do a bracelet, uh, to form it, now you can buy some tools that will help you, and to, but it, it's very difficult to do one-off. You know, pe people don't have quite the right tools or can't make the forms to shape those things on. And that's the biggest thing. So you see most everybody is doing all this flat stuff. And in some way, it's not easy, but you almost have to have a little lathe and a little shop to be able to build the forms to make something more more interesting and uh, uh, you know I don't need to see any more flat things uh, no. so I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that beginners face is putting some dimension in their work we're all we're all the time facing it struggling with it it's all flat to begin with and then how do you make it smooth and have depth and texture it's a big thing. Yes, and of course, the bits are a little different deal. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, putting shape in, and you've seen some crazy things I've done on bits, but. Uh, hey, your spurs. And, Remember the spurs? You had yeah. three quarter, three quarter. Well, I don't know how thick them shanks were in the beginning on that one set. It's a little nice little niter blue things, and you had big old wide. They go wide, but they were real. weren't real tall width wise. But I mean, what am I trying to say? It was like you used three quarter by, I don't know, five sixteenths or something. You know, it was real. It was real weird. It was cool though. I forgot, but uh, anyway, yeah, it, I've got a bit I'm working on now. In fact, that uh, is kind of interesting, and it uh, the cheeks are not flat. There has uh, flowers with, get that, could I get that box, in the plastic, and it has uh, flowers and so on that stand up over the, uh, I don't know if you can see that bit, but this is higher, this part, oh, yeah. this is higher than the area that's going to receive inlays. Oh yeah. Uh, see, it's, it's higher and sculpted. So, mm -hmm. 
anyway, and this bed, it tapers too. It's wider at the bottom and narrower at the top. Oh yeah. Uh, I forgot, and then there's an old Mexican uh, bit maker that did them that way. Uh, so it's kind of tricky, some of that stuff. Very tricky. The forging has allowed a lot of that to, to as, as because of forging, I'm able to do some more variations. Now, forging a, a shank like that is extremely difficult. And so you do one and that, that wasn't, that, that was just hard. And then you're going to do the mirror image on the other side and it becomes virtually impossible, but uh, it, it absolutely is possible. And there's, there's men out there that can do it, but um, shaping that metal, creating dimension like that. It's way fun. Uh, way fun. Adds a whole yeah, new element to the whole thing. There's, yeah, there's different ways to approach it. It's like a mouthpiece. I think the mouthpiece for this bit is, uh, you know, I, it's, this is, there's a mouthpiece and it was machined. Uh, you get a kick out of that rather than, uh, it was machined uh, rather than adding the mouthpiece, this piece that's the bar itself and welding it on there or what. This is all one piece that was machined. Uh, of course, there's a lot of handwork in it too, but you see, that's a, it's just what you're comfortable with, whether you're a machinist, you know, yep. a blacksmith, or a fabricator, a welder, or what. You see, there's sure. those different approaches to go about something. No, our customers don't ask us how we did it. Well, some of them do, but it, it's, right. it's, it's more about what you did. That's the important part, right? I, don't, I, I, yeah. I, I, I told somebody one time, we're all trying to get to perfect. Doesn't matter how you get there, just as long as you try, right? So... Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. That's all good. Yes. Oh, Schwartzy, are you still there? We forgot about you. I'm here. You. I'm here. Well, this has been a fascinating visit with our great friend, Mark Drain. And uh, we'll uh -huh. probably need to wrap things up here and uh, get on to the next, next thing that we clock yeah. into. Right, Willie? And let Mark That's finish cool. that bit. I have to ask you though, what what do you have planned for that bit, Mark? Do you have uh, some idea of what you're going to do with it once you get it built? Yes, uh, it's a a gift uh, to the person who gifted me a horse. Oh, so <laughs> it's a trade. It's a it's a I'll, trade. I'll give you two horses. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it looks fabulous. It's too bad well, people right. can't see it. No, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, take good pictures, dang it! I want. I want to see. I want yeah, to see it. That's absolutely. That'll be awesome. Very good. Tell Kathy to put it on All Facebook. Right. Well. Okay. When when we when we one other thing is. We're going to have to have you back on here because we didn't even talk about the locomotive that's sitting in your shop floor that you've been working on, too. So that's that's a tease for the next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just too much going on here. Yeah. Well, welcome to your see. world, Mark. Guess... There's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, we Weird. didn't even talk about dies and figure dies and so on yet either. So No. I mean, the in the... 
your hammer your hammer press thing that you smash that stuff on there and the lizards and all that stuff you've done over the years we didn't even get into that doing them in the reverse good gosh Blows right right i i had a uh young lady from canada here recently and so i talked her into cutting a die uh in the deep you know in a piece of tool steel and she's so reticent i said you can do this you know you have uh, tendency towards detail and refinement, and you can go home, you can carve that steer head upside down, and you know, it's re in reverse, it's down into the steel, and I said, and then we'll get that steel hardened, and we'll be able to push out some steer heads for belt buckles. So, uh, anyway, it's, it's fun. That, that um, I have a hard enough time looking at it in the positive, much less the negative, so... <laughs> <laughs> I should Boy, try. You, I should try. Yep, you could do it, Wilson. No problem. Yeah. Well, just dive off, right? Just dive off into it. Yep. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I, I again, you you're you've been a huge influence in my life and my career, and from day one, from the engraving block at Greg's to the pictures of bits and things that he had, and, and the, the buckles is just. Thank you so much for what you've done and, and for joining us today. So I, I really appreciate well, it. Thank, thank you both for uh, letting me share some of the thoughts. Because I'm not going to be around here forever. So I hope other people can come along and pick up the reins and keep chugging with it. Well, don't know if anybody will be able to grab the same reins, but we're all, we're all in the trenches behind you. I'll put it that way. <laughs> all right all right thanks thanks a bunch for the visit all right take care mark the okay you do the... also hey, hey hang all right yep hang, Bye -bye. hang on hang on just a minute mark before you hang up yeah there we go yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Ladies and yeah, gentlemen, the funny. great Mark Drain.
Yeah, yeah, it's too funny.